0: Well, we usually say good morning, but uh, today it's good afternoon. Uh, This is October 9th. We uh, are conducting our ag market network a little differently Uh, this time. We are doing it on the day of the crop report, and we're trying it in the afternoon, seeing if that might fit a little bit better for our listeners Uh, We want to first thank our sponsor, BASF. They make this program available and possible for you to listen to. They've been long-term sponsors of ours, and we're very appreciative of them. BASF, as you know, is the owner of FiberMax and Stoneville Cotton Seeds, so we thank them. Our uh, lead uh, speaker today will be Dr. O.A. Cleveland. He'll lead our discussion and he'll join our cotton panel of Dr. John Robinson and Kip Butts and Gerald Nieper. Uh, also today, we'll have a special guest, Jennifer uh, Crumpler uh, of BASF, uh, will be with us, and she'll comment later on E3 certification and traceability of quality U.S. cotton. O.A., these are interesting times, and we are glad you're leading us today to talk about the cotton market.
1: Thanks, Pat. I appreciate it, and hello to all. And uh, just, again, just... Uh uh, a cotton market, that, that market that's wonderful. So many people, including myself, just a few months ago thought and were scared to death we were going to see a market uh, down in the mid 50s to the low 50s, and a few people even talked about 48 cents. And we do have a, a set of conditions that, uh, in some years has created a price that low, but we have other conditions, thank goodness, that tell us this market does have some strength to it now. How much further that strength is going to carry us to the upside, I, I, I have questions about, but I know my compatriots on the broadcast are going to push this market higher. That's, uh, that's their role, as far as I'm concerned. But the report came out today, and uh, the principal issue it lowered world-ending stocks from round numbers uh, from 104 million bales down to 101 million bales, so uh Just again, using round numbers a three million bail decline in world stocks and and that is significant that is optimistic it 's hard to say bullish uh when you 're still talking about a hundred million bail carryover and when you 're talking about a uh, carry that's uh our stocks to use ratio that 's about eighty five to ninety percent uh, so basically we 're saying we 've got a crop already in the warehouse to fulfill essentially all the needs of the current year. So we do have to have some imagination. We have to have some demand somewhere to take this price higher. But principal changes in the, in, in the crop or in the USDA report, one, well, from a production standpoint, they lowered world production, uh, some 900,000 bales. Most all of that came out of a combination of Pakistan and uh, the African-Frank zone uh, so that, that's where the smaller crop came into play. On the domestic use, the consumption side, the uh, the big change, the world consumption was estimated up 1.5 million bales, and we're going to have to have an increase in consumption to get higher prices, but the, 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 the increase in consumption as calculated by USDA comes from about a 500,000 bale increase in India and a 1 million bale increase in China. It's good to see the Chinese textile industry see a million bale increase. They're up, according to USDA, from 36.5 million bale consumption to 37.5 million bale consumption. So a a decrease in in world production of just slightly below a million, and then an increase in uh, world um, uh, consumption Of of right at 1.5 million. If I repeat that, because the world production was down right at a million, world consumption was up about 2.5 million. Of course, how do we get to a 3 million bail decline in world uh, ending stocks? Basically, USDA did make some adjustments to beginning stocks. But the real numbers, as we get into the report, uh, we see that. World trade was changed. Uh, it was 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 increased by some five hundred thousand bales uh, from the prior month's report, and basically the, the the benefactor for that tends to be, for the most part, is, is Brazil. Brazil is going to export about five hundred thousand bales more than was called for last month, move their export total up to nine point seven million bales. USDA did little or nothing with the USDA numbers, uh, left uh, crop production at uh, 17, uh, in their number, 17.05 million fails, uh, which was uh, essentially a flat with last month. It left exports and domestic consumption unchanged. I know some people think expo- U.S. exports are moving higher. I think they're headed lower. I think U.S. domestic consumption is headed lower. Uh, so that's that's basically where the report comes from. I know there's been a lot of discussion with respect to uh, exports and what they are. Again, I have to reiterate that I think exports are lower. I know some people look at the export sales report and see if in tune with last year or better than a year ago. I look at it and see it uh, see considerable stress in it. We have actual sales about 1.2 million bales below where we were last year. Uh, at the same time, I see that uh, while export shipments are running strong, uh, basically we've had strong shipments to China. I think that relates to the uh, Chinese-U.S. Uh, trade situation. I don't think that's long-standing. But the problem I have with exports is week after week after week, we have decent sales or strong sales to China, and or Vietnam, usually both. But outside of strong sales to China, Vietnam, we have some weeks with decent sales to Turkey, some weeks with decent sales to Pakistan or Bangladesh, but then basically no other sales. So, And, and we note that USDA did allocate its increase in world trade totally to Brazil. So Brazil's become the strong market. It should because, A, it has a quality product, just as the U.S. does, but it's also uh, significantly uh, a lo- a lower price for basically the same product. As we look down the road, we see the uh, U.S. crop, the delta crop, that's getting rich be or, or in the process to be hit by the about the hurricane, the hurricane Delta, aptly named, I would suppose. There's still about 40% of that crop left to pick, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee. So it's a lot of crop getting wet right now. Much of the Delta crop was hanging in around 1,400 pounds per acre until the, the uh, hurricane uh, a couple weeks ago, and we've lost some some lint due to that. Uh, i I've, just looking at, at other factors there, uh, the uh, go back to the old wise tail or whatever we want to call it. Uh, short crops have long tails. I've not heard that brought up this year. This is supposedly a short crop, meaning that we will tend to get the price high somewhere around harvest time, and the market tails off throughout the rest of the year. That's why I've been somewhat very aggressive in suggesting that we price this crop around sixty-seven and a half cents. I held out great hope that we would get to sixty-seven and a half cents. I actually did not think we would until we got into early November, but uh, we did it this week, uh, and we moved on up to sixty-eight and a half cents. Basically, maybe we'll go higher. Maybe we will. Hopefully, we will. But I'm uh, I'm 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 ready to move this crop. Uh, in, in, in large fashion, I think there's a lot of hedging that will be done uh, as, at this particular level, and it's going to keep battering this, the, the price situation, in my opinion. Um, but I also looked at it, and I have to be very careful with those of us that uh, that are fundamentalists that like to do technical work too. But we had uh, we had uh, had a very nice isosceles triangle form there, and I went back and looked at my old notes on that. And it broke out just as it was supposed to break out, and that's why we kept calling it the 67.5 cent price level, and we got it, uh, again, got 100 points more than that. So I hope producers were able to take advantage of that. Uh, I looked at the on-call sales, uh, Kip, or John, uh, Gerald. I didn't see anything in that report that gets me excited. Maybe there is, and I just missed it, but... Uh, I think as we move from here, I think we have to be particularly cautious about the quality of the U.S. crop that's out there. I, I'm very impressed with the sales we've made to China. We'll make more. But I think most of our quality cotton has already been sold, and uh, that's just going to leave the market to trade the strict low inch and 16th and lower qualities, and that doesn't speak well for a New York contract to move higher, in my opinion. Thank you all.
0: All right, uh, well, let's open it up for any other comments from our panel.
2: Well, thank you. I think you did a, a great job of summarizing a, a somewhat uh, uh, unexciting report today. Uh, the comment you made that sort of gets my attention is the export situation. Your thought is we may be going a little lower. I- I, maybe I have a, a bit of misplaced confidence, but I'm thinking that this phase one uh, will increase our sales uh, even more to China than uh, than a lot of people are thinking. And so I think the USDA, at least at this point, uh, it may be a little bit low on, on the total export number, um, although it's kind of hard to make that argument that when we're 1.2 million bills behind last year already – and we're not making these huge sales, particularly outside of China. Which, to your point, which is well taken, is going to be required if we're really going to if we're really going to get a a, a significantly large number that's going to really impact our bottom line from a 7.2 million bill carryover to something at least significantly or, or notably lower. It's um, it's one of those things we just got to watch this year. My bias is that USJ may be a little bit too low, but the number I was using earlier in the year has certainly come off. Um, so that, that's still going to be a wild card, my
1: opinion. Gerald or John? I, I, do, I, I do agree with you, Kip, that uh, with respect to China, China's going to buy more cotton. And we've discussed that. We discussed it last week, well, last month, about why one reason that was going to happen I, I wasn't able to sell Gerald and John on that idea, but I think the administration's pledge to remove Xinjiang cotton and Xinjiang apparel from the US market just as the Europeans are doing. Uh, is very effective and we'll have to sell cotton to China if in fact they're going to keep <laughs> excuse me, keep their textile operation going without using the Xinjiang cotton. Uh, and I think it's becoming very, very evident that that part of the trade situation that the administration has promoted is uh, actually very real. I know it's something that I talked to you about some six months ago when they were trying to put a program together. Uh, and once they put it together, and it began to get become, a, become public here a month or so ago. Uh, and some folks doubted whether it could happen. And to digress a moment, something called the American apparel importers, uh, uh, apparel and leather importers, a very much sounding very sounding American name, came out against that program saying it couldn't be done. Uh, 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 Gerald, like you and John questioned, but uh, that turns out to be basically just a, a representation of people that are importing synthetics into the United States and were taking issue with the fact that the U.S. did not want any Zing synthetics in the United States. So I think that program is going to succeed, and certainly that agency got nowhere, but we'll just see where it goes.
0: Well, O.A., specifically, what, what, what are they discussing doing with regard to this cotton and the, and, and the effort that's being put together by the U.S.? Uh, is, well, they're
1: actually, they're, they're actually scanning the product. It's easily scanned. And based on the scan, they if they don't already know what textile mill it's coming from, and by and large they all do already know what textile mill it's coming from, they uh, impound it at the port, and they have done a good bit of that. They continue to do it, and now that the Chinese are beginning to recognize it, they are uh, as Kip and I contend they are beginning to import more and more U.S. cotton. And to spend that cotton in the non-Xinjiang textile mills, the old historical textile mill area, Xinjiang keeps popping up. It's the it's the communist military controlled province where all the child labor and the slave labor is concentrated. And both the European Union and the United States have said we do not want uh, this uh, the products from those those uh, those slave labor. Uh, companies, and so it's just banned uh, any and all products, not only just cotton, but plows, uh, work clothes, irrigation equipment from from, from those companies. It, it's widespread and across the board, and it, but it gets hit, hit in cotton specifically because China had basically moved its commercial cotton production and had begun to move its cotton uh, commercial spinning activity to, to that place. So as it's, it's Skip says, it speaks well for China to import more U.S. cotton. The uh, other side of that knife to me is it's unfortunate. We're just not able to sell cotton anywhere else. Uh, again, we have some in Mexico, some in Vietnam, but we look at uh, countries across the board that have been such dominant buyers, uh, they're not buying cotton. Their textile mills are semi-closed down or closed down for right now. Any,
3: any
0: other thoughts, Gerald? John,
3: uh, mine. I just want to highlight what O A touched on. What I consider to be kind of the, the biggest source of downside price risk that we're at now is that we get more quality dam- more quality degradation than yield loss from all this ongoing wetness, and we wind up having fairly large ending stocks, even if they're six point something of lower quality cotton and if the if the um uh certified stocks keep you know creeping higher it just kind of seems to me it's a setup for for futures weakness and emphasizes always statement about taking the opportunity in in the upper 60s
1: which dovet- dovetails with that old Saying that uh, here, long before I came around with short crops have long tails.
4: You know, the quality degradation is it, it, obviously. You know, growers don't want to see a good crop uh, get colored up. You know, or anything like that. They don't want to take anything away from the premiums. But at least from from a world perspective, it may actually you know give us a hand in terms of selling some off price some off grade cotton someplace these mills are still price buyers i mean they're they're kind of chasing these prices higher but not really um you know pakistan for example is is you know they're looking for low grade long staple cotton um the uh, so i so i do think that that these low grades are not necessarily you know a bad thing as far as us exports are concerned Growers don't like it. That's very understandable. But uh, I, I think we'll be able to move this crop. Uh, maybe not Maybe not as much as I think we will, I mean, based upon OA's commentary, but I do think that there's room for this, these export numbers to go up as we move into the season. Um, and, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe the crop eventually does come back down a little bit. Um the uh, John, were you seeing a, a, an increase in the Texas crop estimate, or were you seeing decreases?
3: I I was expecting less. Um, I, overall, I thought we'd be 300,000 bales fewer, but that was really colored by anecdotal stories of bull rot from here to Georgia. Right,
4: right, which, uh, you know, <laughs> they... Uh, there must not, they must not have found any because they hardly did anything <laughs> in, the, in the crops out there. It, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jerry,
1: you bring up a great point with respect to this low quality and will it move in the export market in cotton, uh, you know, at, at the right price anything to sell. Uh, and and I agree with you there. We've had some great export years when, when we moved a ton of low quality. Uh and I don't have an answer. Uh, I wonder about all this uh, Brazilian, excuse me, not Brazilian, the uh, Indian low quality that's out there. And we we do note that, uh, and I know you can give me the numbers a little bit better, but the Indian government just said they were going to buy, uh, what, 9.5 billion bales Uh, From the grower and sell it on the market. They'll sell some of that at a loss, and it's going to tend to be a lower quality crop. Last year they only bought about seven, seven and a quarter million bales, so they're going to have two and a half million bales more. The Indian government will to sell. Uh, So that's where I would get concerned about moving our low quality. Because I think we're going to face more pressure from India, but you probably have a much better handle on that than I do. I at least I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't. What do you see anything there?
4: No, other than you know, um, where is that low quality going to go? Probably, well, it's going to go next door to Pakistan. It's probably going to go. Some of it's going to go into Bangladesh. So they clearly have an. They're going to have an advantage over U.S. cotton, away, um, and, and. uh so you know maybe that go ahead
2: excuse me I, well, I was gonna say I hear what you're saying but you know it's gonna have to be very heavily discounted because Indians are have a long reputation of selling one thing and shipping another and we're in a situation here where if, if, if you're a mill buyer in Bangladesh the business is not fantastic you probably are going to want to go with a more reliable shipper and pay maybe a little bit more in order to get what you bought, particularly in these trying times for these textile mills. Their margins are really, really tight right now. So I think I would favor, although I think the Indian cotton can certainly decrease the basis more for the low grades, but I'm thinking that from an export perspective, the U.S. may get a little bit of a nod simply because of the reliability and the consistency of our shipments. So, I mean, just for what it's worth, it's something else to put in the hopper, I think.
1: Well, no question. The U.S. merchant and the U.S. co-op does ship what they sell, and and they have an excellent reputation for doing that. So uh, that's given the U.S. grower a plus in the world market.
2: whether that's enough to overcome the the Indian discount, which could be really sizable, well, you know, that's a wait-and-see thing. So, I mean, I'm just throwing that out there as a consideration, something else to sort of think about. You can tell I'm a little biased to to at least slightly higher U.S. exports from from what USDA has today.
1: That's interesting, Kip. I'm always very biased that they've, they they've missed it. They're too low, they're too low, too low. And here I am thinking, well, they're too high. They're too high. <laughs> As the world turns.
2: Well, there we go. Well.
0: Any any other comments from our
3: panel? None, except to say that our conferences are highly correlated with a storm and. Brewing in the Gulf, if you <laughs> set back to the last three. <laughs> yeah.
1: don't um,
3: well,
4: well, you know, you know, ability I hope. Tell us about price. <laughs> you know, to OA's point regarding, uh, you know, he didn't think prices would get up here. At some point, this market's going to have to deal with, you know, how do we re- get acres reduced around the world? because clearly we're producing much more than we're consuming out here, and stocks are just too large. And there's going to be a day of reckoning. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, this month, next month, or if we get to, you know, February or March. Because at some point, you know, this market's going to have to make people think twice about planting cotton, and hopefully it's in other countries and not necessarily the United States. But we've got to get rid of these surpluses ar- around the world.
3: Well, I mean, to, the, to that
4: point, the two, you know, India,
3: I forget what the percentage is, it's pretty high of, of, of the surplus that's there, how much of it is in India and the United States and, I guess, China. But we're, um, at least India and us, there's a whole lot of taxpayer support, you know, backing up uh, the, the lower price moves. Right. So, I mean, that's good from the standpoint of holding acreage in the United States
0: okay we want to quickly go around and and talk about price projections and then we want to introduce jennifer uh, crumpler who's with us from basf i'll start on the west coast uh and we'll start
4: with gerald gerald what are your thoughts as far as price goes for cotton well i thought we got a little bit of ahead of ourselves i had a measured move up to sixty-eight eighteen. we got there yesterday um you know, today we actually even exceeded a little bit more. I don't know if people were trying to front run this uh, the crop report or, or what, but uh, t- clearly, you know, there was some, some some support underneath here. We've got that one little gap between 68.98 and 69.17 that I think we're going to try to make a run for. I mean, you know, Scott likes to fill gaps, um, but getting a whole lot higher than that. I think the United I think the USDA report sort of took that right off the table with uh, today's estimate um, and uh um, you know the fact that we didn't close lower today is 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 helpful in terms of thinking that maybe we're, we'll make another run for that gap but uh um you know today's close definitely wasn't good um e- even if we even if we were up on the day and on the week it it was not a it, not real pretty on a chart perspective, but uh I th- I think we've got I think maybe we've got uh sixty nine sixty nine something left in us and, and if if we if we correct back down to sixty six forty to sixty six seventy and we turn around and start going back for some reason, we might have, you know, at least a fifty fifty shot at seeing something over seventy cents. Why we would get there, I don't know. But uh um, it just, just from a looking at a chart, you know, we've got a, an opportunity to to get up there. If you want to just look at the, the fundamentals, you got to be wondering why are we even here right now? I mean, there's no reason for us to be at almost 68 cents, with uh, you know, seven million bales carryover in the United States and and you know, 101 million bale carryover in the world. Um, but we are here. Um, and, uh, maybe there's, maybe there's a little bit more before the, the market comes to, uh, uh, comes to some sort of sanity. All
3: right, John. Well, if we're here, then there's always a chance of us being, you know, a penny or so higher just on some knee jerk reaction to something. Uh, my bias is more to the downside. So, you know, I'd say 69 down to down to mid sixties is probably where we'll trade. I think we're. I think my bias is to the downside because the crop supply influence, the production influence, I think is going to be a fading influence, and so the hedge funds who are underneath it are are not going to be as much. Okay, Kip, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, I mean, I I hope the Gerald's right about the potential, but, but but I think he did a good job explaining that those are the technicals, not necessarily the fundamentals. I. I we could do that just because as john said but my bias is a little bit lower as well in as much as and I always said it right at the beginning yeah we got a decrease in world ending stocks but we're still over 100 million and it's it's really hard to make a much of a a, a supportive argument out of a 100 million bail carryover uh, even if a lot of it is uh if it is lower quality but if it's lower quality again it begs the, the question of why are you going to hold higher levels so my, my thought is we you know we probably have seen the highs I think always started off uh, with a great comment it, for farmers get this move, move move this crop at this point and it's it's time not to take a risk for in my opinion for higher prices here uh, you might miss the very top but I think you're more likely to, to be looking at lower prices rather than higher um, at, as this crop year goes on. Away. So the low wind, maybe we get somewhere in the high 50s. I don't. Uh, and simply because this market has held higher levels than I thought it was going to for a while, uh, given the, the fundamental situation. Maybe the market's trying to tell us something we don't
1: know yet.
0: Away. Well,
1: I really, I, I, Jill said a couple of things, several things. Everybody said several things were very interesting. And, and intrigue me. Uh, uh, Gerald mentioned the two gaps right there at 69 cents, and cotton does fill gaps, so as John said, for no other reason or no other reason, let's just go up there and do it and get it done with. Uh, I noticed Gerald did not mention that third gap, and uh, hopefully it doesn't get filled because it's sitting down at 5 cents. So let's just keep that gap uh, open, but let's fill these gaps here at 69 cents. Uh, but other than that, I don't see a lot of reason to take this market higher because of carryover. And, yeah, and I'm I'm fully committed to the fact that we're going to have some strong sales to China, both this year and in the next marketing year. Um, now, unless there could be something that uh, uh, vacates the trade, the phase one deal and the deal with China, but as long as that's in place, there there will be strong sales to China to other crops. It's not our role to do that, but China is in the market buying commodities, and and they're going to spend money, and they've just started spending. But I still find it difficult for cotton to get above where we are. I think probably two things for a grower. One, I think you need to lock in a basis, because I think we're getting ready to see some losses in the basis because of quality situations and because the demand is going to be for high quality and the, there will be a low demand for low quality. $0.69, cents, $0.68 cents where we are now, I'm ready to go ahead and price about 90% of the cotton and grow your dice on just that last 10%. I think it's time. Um, so, we, okay, we got another penny. Well, that gummit, I missed the top of the market. I sold mine at $0.68 cents and didn't get $0.70. Cents. That's uh, still not a bad idea. Uh, so, uh, you know, let, let's let, let's just be very cautious here, and at the same time, be very cautious about this quality. And I know Jennifer's there to talk about quality and seed certification, or or seed does, uh, fiber certification and uh, uh, fiber sustainability. I know it's huge with cotton and something we need to talk about. So that. Uh, Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys. Uh,
0: Okay. Well, let's bring Jennifer on. Uh, She is Fiber Fiber Development and E3 Sustainable Cotton Manager. Uh, Jennifer, fill us in on the latest as far as E3 certification goes and traceability of of quality U.S. cotton.
5: Yeah, well, I appreciate it. And um, Pat, OA, uh, Kip, John, Gerald, hey, we're not in person this time, but good to talk to you guys and excited to be here. So um, as you guys know, Um, you know, BASF is kind of taking a different stance out there on cotton and are really trying to look at, um, you know, how do we fill that consumer void in that market and, you know, fill that need and demand that consumers and brands and others are asking for. Um, You know, in our 2019 program, um, you know, we had the highest number of growers in the U.S. enrolled in our program, so really excited about that. Um, You know, we've got growers already coming in and cotton coming in um, and it's been really interesting and you know, listen to you guys talk because you know the price of cotton we've definitely seen um, you know that demand and unsure of what's happening and then I think you know if you look at a bigger picture of it what we're really starting to see when we talk to um, you know with that textile industry whether it's the brands the textile meals and other things with COVID hit and everything shut down you know that stopped a lot of demand there's a lot of Fabric already out there, a lot of supply there, um, and so trying to get meals back up running, um, you know, brands coming back on board to be able to start design consumption of some of that has just been a slow process and one that we're still trying to navigate and figure out what you know what's going to happen, um, you know. And I know there's been a lot of talk on the call about China and what that's happening. Um, another area that we're really kind of paying attention to and seeing how that's going to affect and what that's doing and, hopefully look at that increasing, um, the U.S. consumption is in Vietnam. Um, you know, you guys probably know there's a recent 301 case that's got opened against Vietnam, which is, um, you know, same thing that started with China, what started a lot of the issues with Xinjiang province. And we're seeing that now happen in Vietnam. Um, so we're really watching hard there to see, okay, what's that going to mean for trade in cotton and fiber? Um, and so it's just, you know, for us, that's just, provided some opportunity for our US farmers enrolled in the program um and even more for that demand for that traceability of the cotton that you know has never really been seen before. So um yeah you know, Mr. Pat, we're seeing a lot of really good positive things coming. I think it's at a time when the market and consumers are really wanting to know, all right, you know, we've been a lot of them have been stuck at home. They've been on the internet reading, looking and doing, um, you know, ways of purchasing and buying the habits have completely changed. And so, you know, they want that transparency to happen. And we're seeing a lot of that, um, you know, a lot of positive uptake in program and interest in what we're doing with things.
0: All right. Any any questions?
2: Hey, Jennifer, this is Kip. I've got a a question. Uh, Yeah. I I couldn't agree with you more on the the consumer demand for transparency, and and it's something that, you know, we hear a lot of talk about. Specifically, what are we doing uh, as an industry to sort of uh, increase that transparency all the way through the marketing level? Because some of the folks I've talked to just have some real reservations about how We can do that and feel certain we're getting it done. I mean, what measures are y'all or what are y'all sort of looking at to to try to help that out?
5: Yeah, and that's a great question on that. Um, And, you know, and one thing that, um, you know, we've really done is that we have just set the standard and integrity of things a little bit higher than what's being said because we, um, you know, in order for the traceability and that to go through, I mean, we get every single Bell ID that comes through. So our growers, when they opt in to enroll and partner with us in our, um, with either Stainville or FiberMax, and on that E3 cotton, you know, we know every field that it comes from. We know those Bell IDs that come from that field. Um, you know, and we work very closely with our cotton traders, the merchants that, um, you know, in the textile mills, um, whether it's, you know, domestic in the U.S. or whether it's globally, we work very closely with those guys as well as brands and their sourcing department. So when, any, you know, if E3 cotton is requested before a textile meal um, for their yarn, you know, whether it's going to a spinner or a weaver um, or, you know, cut and sew, wherever it is, before they can make any claims or say anything about it being E3, we do require, you know, every single bill ID has to be submitted to us for us to confirm that and, um, you know, provide that certificate of verification that goes all the way through. Um, you know, we're working even on a separate piece of that nail, um, To go in so textile meals have to get certified to be able to um, and have certificates on that from a textile meal standpoint so you know we've really increased that standpoint on that side of it um, which is very different you know we've kind of went against the grain on things with the you know they talk about the mass balance system because we think that you know for years it was said there's no way you can do anything you have to use mass balance um and i think we've you know worked very closely to prove that that is not something that um it has to be the industry standard anymore. We can improve that, so we've worked on that very, you know, very hard. Um, you know, and we um, we're just trying, you know, we're just moving it and just set, setting that standard a little bit higher. And we, you know, every step along the way, which we've seen, and you guys, I think, can agree very closely. You know, when I talk to growers across the country, um, they understand what they're doing at their operation very clearly. They understand with cotton what happens, you know, when it goes to that cotton gin and that but after that they really don't know where it goes where it's been what's happened to it where it's at um you know same thing when you kind of work your way back through the you know meals or maybe others they might not know with that and so we've worked very hard and continue to to bring in that level of um you know kind of making to clearing up some of that you know trying to unscramble some scrambled eggs i guess as they would say to bring the transparency there because we know that's going to be what the future is um, and the growers we've worked with and, you know, the meals and the brands, those that really are dedicated to sustainability and not just, you know, saying, hey, we've got a program, they have jumped on board and been so supportive. And it's, um you know, it's great to see that that interest and level is there. Great. Thank you. Yes, sir.
2: Sounds like it's heading in the right direction. <laughs>
5: that's right yeah it is it is and i think that you know like i said with the china situation um and i think too you know one thing you know i know we talked about this last year i think that we have to really look at when the markets come out and some other things in price you know there's a couple of factors we're going to need to look at moving forward um you know if you guys watched anything with fashion week this past year new york or other places fashion weeks are not the same everything's a virtual fashion show um you know, people are protesting against, um, with the China, with slave labor, with the um, Muslim labor and forced labor in some of those areas. And so I think we've got to be really, you know, watch that. And I think that we can, you know, capture on that as an op- you know, especially domestically with some of our cotton and, you know, provide some transparency to help drive up some of these brands. Um, you know, consumers, as far as their spending habits, what we've seen is those who, um, and that luxury market, some of those consumers, I've been constantly amazed. Um, some of the brands we partner with, whether it's Imogene and Willie, um, you know, Wrangler we parted, partnered with, Leftfield, NYC, um, and we've got some other brands moving forward that we're going to be announcing soon. Um, it, it's just been amazing that that, you know, kind of consider that luxury brand of denim, those three $400 jeans that are selling, that market, they are just selling out as soon as they can get it because the consumers are willing to pay more. For that, you know, in that market, and so that's where I think we're trying to, you know, we're going to see, um, you know, the luxury market there, you know, just like with everything, things tend to, you know, follow that luxury market, so it's going to be interesting to watch and follow what happens with the other brands um, outside of that, you know, and consumers wanting to be able to, you know, get some of that same benefits from things.
1: Okay. Jennifer, this is OA. I appreciate to hear yeah. this. I know it, it's the, from what I think up the brands are driving a lot of this and it's the brands that are hearing from their customers about this Xinjiang labor situation and, and, and not only the brands that are popular here in US but the brands that are popular in Europe as well and while we and Cotton have harped about that for a number of years now, now that the brands have picked it up, uh, uh, it's been a big boom for us, and it's going to be a big, bigger boom for Cotton.
5: Well, it is, and Mr. O.A., I think that now there is, you're right, the brands are picking it up, but I think that, you know, there's a couple of things we've got to kind of think about, and I think consumers are getting smarter. We're getting, um, you know, more access. When you think about, you know, all of us on this conference call right now, and Others, technology is increasing. Consumers are wanting to know more and more and more. Um, and so I think that, like you said, there, as consumers have started demanding some change. And, with this, you know, we think about Xinjiang. And I think it's really interesting that it's just coming to light now, some of the issues. Um, you know, if you were to look in some of the areas across the country and globally, that um where big you know denim production is happening you go to some of these countries and you can't drink the drinking water or some of the things that are happening because of maybe some um unethical or non-sustainable practices that are happening and consumers are realizing that and they're also realizing well wait a second these brands you guys knew about it okay that's great and i think it's wonderful all right now you know and then when it's going to be interesting to see what some of them start doing and if they change their practices, if they change their sourcing practices, if they, you know, move into, okay, you know, we, we're actually going to change what we're doing. And I think that we're starting to see that because consumers are starting to demand it. Um, and I think, you know, you can almost every day look and see another brand or box store or something that has went bankrupt or, you know, filed in bankruptcy or something. And I think those that will see that will make it through and be better or stronger are those that are willing to make a change in their actual practices and ways of doing business.
1: Thanks.
0: Any Mm -hmm. other any other comments? Any thoughts? Questions?
5: I know somebody's got to have one. I feel like y'all are letting me off easy here now. (laughs) Y'all can't agree with everything. (laughs) I know this crowd a little bit better than that. (laughs)
2: Well, there's one statement I'd like to make. I just like to, oh, we sort of touched on it a while ago. Cotton has been sort of the leader in a lot of, of business practices, and I think that uh, the cotton industry, and, and right now it sounds like the way the E3 program, maybe all, one of the pioneers in this, we're starting to recognize more clearly what the consumer wants and responding to it and have the ability to respond. And I, uh, I just, I like the direction that the industry is going now. And uh, I, I think it's we're still in the infancy of this. I think there's a long way to go, but I, I mentioned earlier, I, I like the direction. I, I think there's there's great promise for this to to have a really good future.
5: Yeah, but and I appreciate I, that. You know, and that, that's a good line. You know, it kind of is like Smokey in the Bandit: long way to go and a short time to get there. But um, you know, I think we've been given an opportunity to do that, and I think that, you know, um, you know whether it's consumers starting to realize, you know, it's fast, like, you know, they call it the term fast fashion. Is it really cheap? You know, is that um, $5 shirt or $10, is it really, you know, is it really a cheap thing? Um, you know, when you look at, and I know for years we've talked about it and we've heard it talked about, you know, cotton biodegrading and breaking down pretty quickly compared to, Synthetic or polyester in an environment or in a landfill. And I think, you know, over the next six months, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with that waste, with the waste products in the sense of, you know, we're going into fall and then spring. Okay, what's going to happen with that spring and summer inventory and clothing, whether it's, you know, polyester, synthetic? Where is that going to end up at? Well, we all know it's probably going to end up in a landfill somewhere. Okay, well, how long is that landfill going to sit there? And, you know, is it going to be in? I kind of keep thinking about this, you know, a lot of environmental groups picked up and we moved from a plastic straw to a paper straw because the plastic straw, everyone said it was terrible. Well, when is that going to happen? And when, when are we going to, you know, demand that same thing, move to the clothing industry and move to apparel and move away from a lot of the synthetics and move to that natural, you know, biodegradable, and really understand um, that we do need to move something that at the end of the day is truly you know that sustainable product so i i think like you said it's just going to be a um it, it is kind of on the beginning i know we've had this program for a while and i'm really been excited to kind of lead the charge and lead the you know with the program to move it forward even um a, as much as we can as quick as we can and i will say you know kind of the COVID right wrong bad things that have happened it's really been you know a good thing for us to reach out to different markets and audiences. You know, we started a podcast, and we have been heard in 40, I think it's 42 different countries now. We've been trending in the top, you know, 160 on Apple Podcasts at a podcast, and who would have even known that normal consumers would have been interested in hearing about this, you know, the cotton story and the cotton thing. So we're really excited about the future of it, absolutely. All right.
0: Well, uh, I think we can first – in concluding our meeting for today, we uh, thank our listeners for being with us. A special thanks to BASF for sponsoring us. Uh, thank you, OA, for leading us. And Jennifer, we appreciate you being part of us. Very informative, and we appreciate your contribution. And uh, that's it. That concludes our meeting. Uh, we thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you. Thank you.